welcome to the Families Voices podcast. Our podcast today is being recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I wish to acknowledge them as traditional owners. I pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. The Family Voices podcast is a series of conversations with families of young children with a developmental delay or disability. We aim to build parents' knowledge, skills and confidence in navigating early childhood services and supports. The podcast is also an opportunity for families to share their stories. This podcast series is brought to you by Early Childhood Intervention Australia, VicTAS. We're a membership-based organisation that's proudly worked alongside families, practitioners and other organisations that provide supports for young children with disability or developmental delay and their families for over 35 years. To learn more about the podcast and our organisation, please visit ekiavic.org.au. first episode of Family Voices. I'm Kerry Ball and I'm joined today by Trish McIver, who's going to talk with us about the important issue of inclusion. Hello, Trish. Hi, Kerry. Glad that you could join us today. And uh, this is fabulous that we're starting this new, new podcast. I wonder, Trish, if we could just start today by you telling us a bit about your family. Yeah, sure, Kerry. Um, so in my family, there's myself and my husband, and we have two children. Um, my daughter, she's 21 now, and I have a son as well. We have a son and he's 18, and we have a dog and a rabbit and four chickens. <laughs> <laughs> a big family. A big family. <laughs> well, it's great that you're happy to, to talk with us about your family, and particularly you've offered to talk today about inclusion. Um, I know this is a a topic that's dear to your heart as, as it is to mine. What does inclusion mean to you, Trish? Well, I've, I'm going to put two hats on here, Kerry, um, my mother hat um, and my professional hat. So um, professionally, I, I've always been um, uh, working in inclusion and especially in early childhood. So I was a, a manager in an inclusion support program I've written modules on inclusion when I was working in TAFE. So I've, and I've written books on inclusion um, for early childhood as well. So I've got an affinity back then, even before I had, you know, my own children. Um, and then I became a mother and um, my daughter was diagnosed with cerebral palsy when, um, when she was about two. And my whole perspective of inclusion and the practicalities of it had just flipped on its side, basically. And I saw it completely differently. And it was very different learning and talking about inclusion and advocating for inclusion as a professional. Um, and then as a mother, when you're so involved in it all and you're emotionally involved, um, it just gave it a whole new perspective of that. So for us or for myself, um, you know, inclusion always has meant to be accepted for who you are, regardless of any differences um, and, and being an equal member of your, you know, of, of your group, of your community um, and having those same opportunities and having the same opportunities to learn and to, to just be with other people as in as anyone else. And I know on my professional hat, you know, inclusion always meant, you know, being and belonging. Um, and that really resonated with me even back then with the early years learning framework um, 
that whole sense of, you know, just being who you are, being being part of everything and, and feeling that sense of belonging. So that all tied in really well for me. So for me, inclusion is everyday living. Um, and I was, I was saying it was, you know, it, it all sort of turned around when we had to live it and it wasn't happening and it wasn't seamless and we had to work hard for it. Mm. I'd really like to hear more about that working hard for it and, and uh, your experience of that. Can can we talk a bit about that, Trish, from your perspective as a, a mother um, and, and part of a family? And uh, as you've said so nicely, this thing about everyday living, inclusion being about everyday living. Can you tell us a little bit about the preschool years and, and what, what inclusion was all about at that time in your experience. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the preschool years weren't so difficult um, because there was a plane of equality anyway. Um, you know, children tended to, um, you know, be all developing at different levels. And for my daughter, she was developing quite well. Um, it was more her physical, you know, she had a right side hemiplegia, so it was more her physical um, disability that, that really impacted her. Um, she did have dysarthria, of, you know, so it was hard for other people to understand what she was saying um, if you weren't familiar with, with um, her language. But um, back then it was finding a really good kindergarten uh, we didn't go into childcare uh, because I wanted to be a, a stay-at-home mother for my children regardless. That was my our plan before we even had children. Um, and so when it was time to go to kindergarten, it was choosing the right kindergarten, um, going and, you know, having a look, getting that feeling. Um, the director, the coordinator of that kindergarten, who would have been, who was Erin's teacher as well, she was um, a particularly... Uh, knowledgeable person on disability because she had, she had a son who had autism. And I think that was so much easier for us because she understood what it meant to, to include a child. She had that emotional connection to it. And that made the biggest difference in preschool is choosing that kindergarten where the teacher, um, you know, just had that ability to understand where we were coming from and that perspective. And she really made it work. And it wasn't a problem, you know, where I was thinking more of, you know, her health issues. Do you want me to stay all day? She said, you know what, we're going to give it a go. And it was just hearing that we're going to give it a go. And she met with Erin and she saw the, she saw the great things that we saw in Erin and my daughter. Um, you know, she saw that, you know, she was uh, a, a vibrant, young, curious little girl who, you know, just loved life. And I think that made a huge difference. I didn't have to think, you know, to, to advocate for her, for who she was. It, it was seen and it was known. So preschool was pretty good. Um, she made friends. Um, probably the biggest area was that I didn't, and my husband didn't connect with other parents as well as everybody else. And I think um, it was just, I just didn't feel comfortable. I think, I just think they didn't understand where we were coming from. Um, we were just starting our journey as parents, our first time parents anyway, and we were tired, I think. And we had all the extra things of appointments and um, going in and out of hospital and, Back then, Erin actually um, started to have ep epilepsy was something that came into her, our life and her life. And um, we were just on tenderhooks the whole time. And I think joining a, a group and a parent group and trying to tell our story and try and feel connected was difficult for us. So we just didn't have that element in mm -hmm. preschool. 
Um, I worked hard at making sure that Erin was, you know, had parties when she had birthdays or events so we could start a real a friendship group. And, and by doing so, you know, Erin was invited to parties and I think she has some real friendships in that, in her preschool years, um, real authentic um, friendships. Um, I, when I used to go and do the parent roster, I used to always make sure that, you know, the, uh, my preschool, my, <laughs> my professional um, early childhood teacher hat on. Um, and if a child sort of started to ask questions, because Erin had real issues with um, saliva control. So if she was at the craft table and she would saliva, you know, I would hear a child go, Ooh, I'm not sitting next to you. Um, and so I'd put my um, professional hat on and, you know, go through, you know, oh, what, what, you know, what can we do to help, you know, Erin? This is, you know, and talk about what Erin did like to do. And, and find that commonality and all the things that I used to do as a professional, but in my heart, it was breaking. <laughs> it was, oh, oh you know, they, they're not, you know, Erin's not seen as everybody else. And, you know, but you sort of had to keep that separate during those years. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's so interesting, Trish. It sounds like the attitudes of the kindergarten teacher made a significant difference and, uh, it also sounds like a lot of efforts of yours were spent on Erin and and um, and she had a good peer network, but it was it was tougher for you in terms of being part of the social social network of the kindergarten. Uh, absolutely, and I think in the early years, children are very open and you know they're curious about each other, but you know difference. You know, the difference of each other becomes part of that you know that group, and if it's dealt well, and other you know the the teachers and, and it's talked about, um, it's just an accepted way of being. And I think we found that in, in that particular preschool. So preschool was quite a, you know, it's a lovely period of time for um, for Erin and for ourselves as a family. Yeah. So the attitudes of the teacher made a difference, but the Absolutely. attitudes of the children did too. Uh, Absolutely. This, this belonging that you talked about earlier. Yeah. What, what about in the, in the later years, Trish, in yeah. primary and so on? Absolutely. Um, going into prim transitioning to primary school, this is where we found a lot of um, uh, prejudice and bias, I suppose. Um, the attitudes weren't like the teachers in uh, preschool. Um, when we're looking at the schools, that are, we come from a Catholic background and that was really important to us for, for our children to go to a Catholic school. Um, and so we went down that way. And when we went to um, our local Catholic um, area, uh, diocese, we the school that we were considering um, were a part of another school. So we had to have our interview with this other school that didn't really know us. Um, and I remember there was a, a series of things we had to do, just the same as any other family, um, except we had the added, we had to have an interview prior to them meeting with Erin. Um, and I remember walking in quite confidently, um, thinking this is, you know, a, a warm Catholic school, the culture should be accepting. Um, and I didn't bring anybody else, it was just myself at the time, because I thought I could, I could do this without any additional support. Um, but then I found that in this meeting, well, it was about five different you know, teachers, the principal, the support, um, the learning, you know, support teacher, um, and it was a barrage of questioning and, um, you know, how would, you know, how, or how we go, and because at that time, Erin needed to be, um, have her water through a Mickey button. So it was a gastro feat. 
And it was like almost taboo. We can't do that. And this attitude, all the attitudes we had in preschool where the teacher, um, the, you know, she said, oh, good, I don't even need a support person. I know how to do that because she was a background in the nursing. It was going from, yeah, no problem to, no, who's going to do that? That sounds, you know, where are we going to do that? How, what are the other children going to do? You know, you know they're going to see that. How, it, it was all about, no, can't do that part. That was just one part. And then they just, they just were, it was one barrier after another. And during that time, I, I felt myself just close in like a, a clam. I was shriveling up. And where I would have, you know, as a professional um, and in my um, past role as a manager of an inclusion support program, I'd be advocating for children and, you know, informing people, educating people. I just lost my voice. And I found that it, in that time it was um, I was beaten, you know, they, they don't want air and it was just a crush. And I remember after I left, the, um, one of the teachers took me out to the car and she said, look, the, the reason why we're not moving ahead is the, the teacher, the, the grade, it was, at that time it was grade one, we didn't have prep. Um, she's retiring and she just didn't want the extra work. And I thought to myself later, I could have, <laughs> I could have thought that's just, that was just, you know, discrimination. Um, they didn't even meet Erin. They didn't even talk to her preschool teacher to see how Erin would transition. They just gave up because it was more about the school and the teacher than it was about having a child, you know, and starting the child's journey in school. Um, and so that experience was devastating. Um, and I just felt that we couldn't go in the Catholic way. I didn't even think to try. I thought, no, you know, independent schools, Catholic systems, they, they just don't want us. And um, and so we then looked at our local school um, the, who actually had a, a unit attached to it. And it was actually in those days you had schools that had um, units attached and it was was that we came from um, Queensland and it was inclusive education. So they had um, schools that were marked and this was a, a, a school for physical impairments. So it was a PI school. So it was actually marked for children who had a physical impairment. But the idea is that you're mainstreamed, but if you needed additional support, they had a unit that would support you. So we thought, oh, well, we'll, we'll go the state way. And um, and they said all the right things, you know, where, yes, well, you know, it's no problem. We'll uh, help you apply for any additional support. Um, went through the school. But as I was walking through the school and doing the tour, I mean, I found myself tearing up and my inner self was saying, I, I didn't want this for her. This, this is not what we chose. And I remember thinking to myself back then, is this a precedent for life? Do we just have to take what's what's offered? Is this going to be something that, you know, we're going to have to just take whatever's there rather than just have a choice of what we actually want for our child? Um, so that was that was a real revel you know, a real change in my attitude towards inclusion and and who I be I became so vulnerable and I felt myself very um, you know, very susceptible to and those those are great big emotions and and it was you know it was all because of that one really bad experience but I thought that was it you know we we don't have a choice anymore back then mm-hmm. and Trisha I can hear it in your voice still um so all all these years later it's it's still there uh this sense of um remembering about not having a voice what what gave you the strength to to keep 
to keep uh, going with all of that, Trish? And- yeah, I think it was because we knew our daughter's abilities. We knew her, her strengths. We knew that she had um, great potential in learning, like any child. <laughs> And, and every child um, has great potential in learning, given the right situation, given the right um, supports. Um, we actually um, received uh, some support from an, an organiser. As I was saying, Erin wasn't diagnosed with cerebral palsy till later, um, which for us was actually a good thing in living in Brisbane um, because it meant we could access support um, elsewhere. And the, and the support that we were actually um, able to um, access was a really great little service where they really worked in it as a, as a transdisciplinary team and very much into best practice, actually. Um, looking back now, they actually worked. We had a key worker. Um, they came to our home in the natural environment and they actually came to the school. And I think having that, um, and we had a really good relationship with our key worker and we actually organised for her to come to the school and help with, you know, where to sit, how to, you know, how, how to do all the things that we just took for granted at that time, you know, lunchtime, how to open her lunchbox and supported the teachers in some of those um, areas that, you know, Erin might need more of a computer to learn how to use a computer rather um, rather than use handwriting because of her, you know, hemiplegia. That really helped a lot and helped support support the teachers. They also, so I had the support from the other, you know, support teachers as well in the school. Um, and the strength, I think, came from uh, just seeing her succeed um, in, in grade one. Um, and I actually then made it a point to be part of, a big part of the school. So I would go into, I'd be the parent that came to do the reading every Friday. Um, you know, and I think the children, if they had a really good rapport with the parent, they would actually have that rapport with the child. And so I think they had a rapport with me and, you know, and we, we could see that friendships were developing nicely in that group. Um, so that, that gave us the strength. I, th- I think also to, um, over the last next couple of years, my husband was asked to work at the school as a, as a teacher aide, um, which he took up. And again, he got to know the the, the culture, but he all got to know the team um, and that really, and, and the children got to know him and that really helped with it for Aaron to, you know, maintain those friendships and, and be part of the school as well. Mm. So relationships were, were built. Yeah. Yes, they were built and they were the foundation, I think, to, you know, really having that inclusive in, in experience as well. Um, and I think that the teacher attitude, again, like you spoke before about is so important. So with Erin, if she had, you know, one year she'd have a fantastic teacher. You had that really good open attitude and the can do. And Erin thrived. And academically, Erin um, did very well at school. Um, she didn't, um, she wasn't too behind academically. But the years that she really struggled uh, were where the teacher just didn't didn't see the the meaning of having having a child with it, you know, with that amount of disability in the classroom. And I remember going in one day and asking the teacher, how's she going? She goes, oh, she's lovely. She just sits in the back of the classroom and plays with the pencils. That killed me <laughs> as a teacher myself and as a parent. Um, and so I quickly um, organised a meeting um, just about, you know, and I, I didn't pinpoint anybody. I didn't put anybody down, but I just used it as an opportunity to say, look, where are we at? What are the goals? How are we going to reach that? And we had support of her, um, one of the support teachers in the school as well. So that 
made a big difference and we nipped that in the bud. <laughs> um, but that's the sort of thing, you know, you'd have one year with a really good teacher, another year, and I think this is the same for all children. You know, it really, it's, you know, how the teachers operate makes a big difference to the child. Mm. It reminds me so much, Trish, of that old saying about it's not enough just to be there. Uh, so it wasn't enough for her just to be in the classroom. Erin uh, was there as a... Uh, a child who who was there to learn and contribute and all of those things just like all of the other children yeah. absolutely that's right what about in the later years or or now Erin's a young adult um mm. is there anything more that you want to share with us about inclusion um for Erin yeah um I think it's all the other things that out, uh, happen outside of the school. Like we, we made a point, she loved dancing, she loved music, you know, the wiggles, um, and she would get up and dance and, you know, in their little gummy way that she could do it. And I thought, you know, why don't we look at um, dance classes for Erin? Um, and she was about five at that time. And I just had a girlfriend from my from my, my school years, from um, high school, who uh, owned and ran her own dance school. And so I got in contact with her and I explained to her, you know, Erin had um, these disabilities that, you know, would, would, you know, would be difficult to do some of the moves and that. But she was very, again, attitude, very open. She goes, well, let's just give it a go um, because it's more, it's more, it's not just about dancing. It's about being part of a, a, a group, um, having commonality, you know, getting up and, and you're con- building your confidence on stage. So Erin went along and she had the best time ever. And um, if anything, Erin had has an incredible memory and she was actually telling other girls the sequences that they missed, you know, you got to go left, you got to go right. Uh, and although she wasn't physically able to, to move that fast, she knew the moves and she was, and I remember um, my girlfriend at the time, she at Alison, and she said, Trish, if we ever get stuck, oh no, Erin's going to be there to help us through that. And uh, again, she saw the strengths. Erin became a big you know, part of that group um, and she was accepted for everything that she was and who she was. Um, and that made a big difference. So we thought we continue these, you know, things outside of school. She loved yoga. So every Saturday she would start a yoga class. Again, we found a great yoga teacher who um, modified the program um, for 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 Erin um, while she was included in the whole group. So while she was um, still engaged in what everyone else was doing, some of the moves that she couldn't do, the yoga teacher would just quietly say, "You can, Erin can do this, and we can do that." Um, she had a support worker to take go with her at that time, um, so she felt like she wasn't, um, yeah, you know, she was just part of that group as well, and it wasn't disability focused. It was just a Saturday morning yoga class um, for children. Um, and then when we actually came to Victoria, we actually came to Victoria um, for Erin um, because we, when we were looking at high schools in Brisbane, in Queensland, we only ha- we didn't have a lot of options at that time. We had um, mainstream high school, which was huge. Um, she wasn't going to get a lot of support. Um, and then we had this, the special schools that where you had to have a certain um, IQ and Erin wasn't eligible. And we, for, for you know, for good reason, I suppose, her grade seven teacher was a, uh, came from Victoria. And at the time he said, don't just go to, go to Victoria. We have more, there's more opportunities, there's more options there. Um, so we decided to come down here and we, we, we actually found a great school here um, for high school. And it was, um, it was a school for children with physical disabilities. It wasn't mainstream, which, you know, again, me coming from that real inclusive <laughs> 
uh, focus uh, was a real mind change. Um, you know, I had to change the way I, I thought of things. Um, but I remember the first day she came home from that school and she said, Mum, I feel like I belong here. And I remember thinking, this is where she, this is where she, you know, this is where she should be now. Because, you know, as a parent, I'm having all these doubts. Should I put her in maze? Is she going to learn enough? You know, is she going to have the same opportunities? Um, is this going to, you know, change her focus for the future? Is it going to set her in a different direction? But I think just those words just gave me that feeling like, oh, thank God we made the right decision. Um, and she made real friends there. You know, because the gap had wide, widened for her when she got to the end of primary school. So um, that was a big thing. And so, you know, coming here, we then joined, uh, she joined a karate class. And again, we were just so lucky to find the right places, the right people. And this karate school was run by um, a person who was amazing, that sensei, who was a physiotherapist. And he started this group because in his role as a key worker in early childhood intervention, um, he wanted to implement karate into the program and it was sort of stifled back then in his in his organisation. So he created it himself. And Erin's group um, were fantastic and and she's to this day, she still goes to karate every Saturday, is very big, very much part of the karate school and the culture of that, that school as well. So I think sometimes you've got to look around, you've got to get the right vibe and right people um, and you'll know, you know straight away if this is going to work or not. The right vibe and the right people. Exactly. <laughs> uh, you've talked so much about Erin's participation in community kind of activities like dance and, and karate and yoga. It's really great to hear that. And uh, she's a young adult now. She is. She's a young adult and now she's going to, um, uh, to, to, to TAFE. She goes to Swinburne and doing very well. Um, again, very inclusive, the right people, <laughs> the right groups. Um, she's thriving. She's doing really well in her classes. Um, she has the, 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 the TAFE, the college has um, provided in-class support and our NDIS plan has included that she could have this, the same people support her at lunchtime. Um, so she has a consistent um, support people who she really relates to. Um, and that's, you know, worked really well with NDIS coming on board. It's actually opened so many more doors for her now that she's a young adult. She, you know, we bought her a mobile phone years ago and now she sort of works out, you know, what, you know, she wants to contact her friends and say, do you want to go out on, you know, on Saturday we'll go for coffee and then she'll she'll work with us to say, okay, who, who can I, you know, is there a support person um, who can take me? And, um, and, and she's got really good relationships with her support um, support workers as well. Um, and they're close to her age and they're almost like more like friends um, than, you know, a carer relationship, a carer and, you know, a, a, a person with a disability. So it's that, that element's not there. I don't see it. Um, if there was there, I, you know, I'd be looking at something else because uh, she's very astute to relationships and making connections. I think connections is a really big thing for um, for for Erin. Um, not just um, after school, but even even now, while she's trying to reconnect and make new connections in her new, in, you know, in in a new environment, which is college. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it sounds like important for Erin and important for you, Trish. It's a thing that's really come through in the way you've been talking. And and Erin's, um, you talked with her about um, coming and talking to us today on the podcast. And well, I did. Yeah. That's right. I asked for her permission. <laughs> uh, I explained what we were going to talk about and talk about our story, and she wanted to know how that would relate to others. And I said, well, it could help. <laughs> um, and it's important for our stories to be heard so that, you know, people understand where, you know, where other people are coming from. And she gave me full permission to be able to talk, tell her story. Well, please thank her on our behalf. It's, it is a rich story and, and so good to hear from you about uh, looking back retrospectively about those early years, about a sense of being and belonging and um, the experiences you've had over the last um, probably 20 years. <laughs> That's right, yes. Yeah. Trish, you've had lots of experience in supporting children's inclusion as a professional uh, you've, you've talked with us about that. What were the most significant things for you or the things that surprised you um, about this from a, a parent perspective? Mm. Um, for, well, it, the emotional involvement. When you're a parent, it's, it's you know, you're so emotionally involved with your child like any other parent and you just want the best for them. Um, so, yeah, so that becomes a, a, you know, a real for me, it was um, I had to look at my limitations. So I knew my strengths. I knew what I could do and how to help with inclusion, um, you know, how to advocate, but in a, an educative way, in an informative way, um, making those real. I knew the importance of relationships and how that would grow. But I also, you know, was very aware of my own limitations and, and it was those emotional triggers. Um, so for example, going to a birthday party, even when Erin was, you know, a, a young, you know, like a five-year-old, um, I knew that that would be too taxing on me emotionally. So I get my husband to take her because he was calmer. He didn't have that. He was, you know, he was just, you know, he's more open and he was relaxed and she could sense that my daughter, she sensed that. So she felt confident. It was almost like that parallel processing that she, she felt what you could feel. She, if I went, she'd be a, a bundle of nerves because I was already on edge. Like, how is this going to go? How's this, how's she going to eat that cake in front of the other children without making a mess, you know? But my husband was like, yeah, no worries. It was when we went well. And even now, like she had a 21st the other night, um, she went to a friend's 21st. I said to my husband, can you take her? Because I knew that was going to be loud and noisy and I just didn't know how she was going to cope with that. I just know he copes better and he does a better job at it. So I think for me, it was knowing my strengths, but also knowing my limitations getting the support where, where I felt was needed. Um, but I think now it's asking Erin what she wants because I have my ideas on things and I, I'll ask her, she goes, nah, <laughs> it's nothing like that. Or how did you feel about that? And it was completely different to how I was seeing that situation. So it's just getting that perspective from, from her herself and, and not knowing that she'll make her own way. I think um, sometimes I've got to let go and not be, you know, <laughs> not be so in her face, I suppose, and in her life um, and making her own way and, you know, and you know, giving her the skills now mm. to, you know, to be who she is. Mm. Mm. You've wor used the word strength so often today, Trish, both in terms of Erin, uh, but also yourself about knowing her strengths and sharing that with other people, knowing your own strengths. And uh, that's really interesting to me that, that that's such an important thing for you. Mm. Absolutely. Yes. 
Trish, if there were three things um, that you wanted to share with parents that are listening to this podcast today, three things that helped you most in those early years um, that helped you or helped Erin to participate in family and community life, what, what would those three things be? Yeah, I'd say being really well informed, <clears throat> be, you know, knowing what's what's out there, um, knowing your own, you know, what your, the access and equity issues too. Like even back then when, um, you know, when the door was closed in the Catholic system, <clears throat> you know, I wasn't, I wasn't aware that that was discriminatory, you know, if that was, I did, <laughs> but at the time I was so shut down that, you know, it was only later that I saw that was, that was very much discriminating. Um, but it was just, yeah, being, being well-informed, I think you can make well-informed decisions then and better choices. So that was the first thing I think just have, you know, get the information and, and be well-informed with that information. I think um, having those relationships really important foundation. They're the foundation, for, I think, for inclusion. The relationships that you have as a parent to um, that environment and the people who are working with your child, um, and sort of building those relationships between your child and other people around that child as well. So having those positive relationships, um, I think you know, being an advocate, but you know, educating others. You know, looking at your the child's strengths and advocating for your child's strengths sometimes that's hard when you are so emotionally involved um or getting support to help you advocate for that you know finding who those supports are and knowing your limitations and knowing your strengths but then getting those you know where you know that you have limitations you know you can get someone else to or, or find other avenues to build on that as well yeah yeah Thank you, Trish. Um, what a what a rich conversation we've had to to launch this podcast. It's been really fabulous hearing from you. Uh, thank you to you and to Erin, the rest of your family, for sharing your story. Uh, I think there's strength that comes to all of us when we hear other stories and we can we can learn from that. So th thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Kerry. Thanks for that opportunity. Thanks, Trish, for sharing your family story and your thoughts about inclusion. You've left me with a lot of food for thought. Could you please also thank Erin for agreeing for you to tell us about your experiences as a parent? Your stories helped me think more about how important community attitudes are. We can welcome children or put up barriers to their access to services and in turn their opportunity to participate and to learn and develop along with other children. I think hearing family stories like yours can help our understanding and attitudes and the important role inclusion has for us all. And there's no doubt about the benefits. There's really strong research evidence that inclusion benefits children with a disability, their peers and broader society. You mentioned, Trish, that in the early years you had great supports, including from a key worker. In the next Family Voices podcast, we'll hear more about key workers and the way they support children and families. But for now, um, we hope you, the listeners, have enjoyed this episode of Family Voices. Make sure you subscribe on your podcast app and feel free to leave a review to help us gain more of an understanding of what type of conversations are helpful to you. 
More information about the podcast can be found on ekiavic.org.au. Until next time, thank you for listening.